0: All right. You gotta mute me. Children's church. You may be dismissed. I'm a little bit loud, and Yeah. down. Pray for worship you know, blue, okay? Yeah, yeah. Hey, if nothing else, we got a hype man. <laughs> oh, goodness. that no, We should be joyful in the Lord like that. We should... We should be joyful. So today we're going to be in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 13 is where we're going to be at. We're going to take a second to get there. I just wanted to talk to you guys for a minute. Um, so today's the Sunday before Valentine's Day, and we're going to have Church Without Walls next Sunday. Um, so I feel like as a pastor, I'm like obligated to preach about love, right? I mean, (laughs) at Christmas you're obligated to preach about the first advent, you know, um, Mother's Day you're obligated to preach about being a mother, Father's Day you're obligated to preach about being a father, Easter you're obligated to preach about the resurrection, so like today I should be obligated to preach about Valentine's Day, and (laughs) I was talking to Faith yesterday, I was was sitting at the, the bar is what it's called, but it's not like a Alcoholic bar, it's just a bar that separates our kitchen from our living room. And uh, (laughs) I have to clarify that, I get to say, hey, you know, I'm the pastor. I was standing at the bar talking to my wife. (laughs) Um, but I was standing there talking to her and I was like, hey, you know, I had this idea of what I was gonna preach, and then I felt like you know that wasn't it, and I felt like the spirit was leading me to change what I was wanting what was supposed to preach. And I was like, and I was just joking with her, and I was like, so I'm gonna preach on suffering and pain. And she's like, okay, what else is new? And so then I, I tried to argue my case for like five to ten minutes about how I'm not a doom and gloom preacher and I'm not always that intense. Well, I feel like I lost that, that discussion, but I'm really not going to try to be intense. I am going to preach on suffering today, but I'm going to preach on suffering from a different perspective. Um, have you ever asked yourself this question? Why do bad things happen? Have you asked yourself why the bad things happen to good people? So this past week, my sister Tasha, um, has she's been following our ministry. She's undoubtedly going to re- listen to this recorded audio. But um, she occasionally will find something um, like a scripture or something or make a comment about a message. And this past week, she sent me a Bible verse and it's Proverbs 133. And basically, it says uh, several things, and it says this, and it says that people that believe on the Lord um, shall be sheltered from the storms of life. And she just sent me that, and she, her question was, this doesn't really make sense to me, because it seems like not only do believers still suffer, she said, but in a lot of situations it seems like believers suffer more, because they're believers. So not only do they have the suffering that the whole world has, but they also have an additional suffering of persecution just because of the fact that they're a believer. And she's like, can you please explain this to me? And so, you know, I went the simplistic explanation route of bringing up a couple verses. One of them is Matthew 5.45, and it just simply says this. It says, it rains on the just and the unjust, and the sun, or the Lord causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, or the righteous and the unrighteous. Meaning that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. But bad things also happen to good people and good things also happen to bad people. It's just part of life that sometimes in life, you have good things that happen to bad people and you have bad things that happen to good people. Because it's across the board. Sometimes it's a rainy day. Sometimes it's a sunny day. Sometimes you feel blessed. Sometimes you feel cursed. Sometimes you feel like you're prospering and everything is just going right. And sometimes you feel like you can't do anything right. So that's, that's the simplistic answer, the easy answer. But then you start thinking about it and you're like, but why? But why do bad things happen to good people? Why, if I'm living my life and I'm living for God and I'm sacrificing in my life and I'm trying to be pleasing to God, then why do bad things still happen to good people? I love this quote. Um, you guys may not know who this is, but there's a guy named R.C. Sproul. And uh, he had this quote and it's kind of a a quip of an answer but when he was asked that question he said well he said that only ever happened one time and he volunteered meaning that there's only ever been one person that's ever existed that's actually been good and his name was Jesus there's nobody else that's ever been good ever so bad things don't happen to good people because there's only ever been one good person and he volunteered to have the bad things happen for him so that we might be in him identified as good people and that's a good answer But it still doesn't answer the question. I mean, yeah, that's a quip of an answer and you can say that and you can get a few laughs and you can go on and you've avoided the question entirely. And sometimes we do that. But I want this morning for us to just get to the heart of the matter. Why do bad things happen to good people? Better yet, why do bad things happen at all? Even more than that, why is there bad at all? Why is there any evil? Why is there any bad in the world? I mean, God didn't have to have it happen. I mean, think about it. Some of the things that we talk about God that we attribute to God. We say that God is all-knowing, meaning that He's never at any time learned anything because He's known everything that will ever happen from the beginning of time. He knows every answer to every question. There's nothing that He does not know or cannot know or will not know. He knows it all, and He knows it all right now. Right? We say that God is all-powerful, that there's nothing that He cannot do. That there is no power that is withheld from him. We said that God is all present, that he is everywhere at every time. There is never anywhere that God is not. So think about those three things and then think about the Garden of Eden when mankind fell. You guys know this story, it's one of the first things you learn in Sunday school. God created a man, created a woman, put him in a garden, everything was perfect. And then this subtle little snake comes along and whispers into the woman's ear and said, did God really say this? And then she begins to doubt. She sees that the tree or the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil is good for food and pleasant to the eyes and the fruit to be desired to make one wise. And so therefore she eats of the fruit and sin enters in the world. Adam eats also and they're thrown from the garden and the serpents cursed, etc., etc., etc. But why did all that have to happen? If God knew everything that was going to happen, then He knew that the serpent was going to come into the garden. And if He's all-powerful, then He had the ability to stop the serpent from coming in the garden. And if He's everywhere present, then He was in the garden when the serpent tempted Eve. So why did that have to happen? Can I tell you something that's going to make a lot of you mad at me, potentially? That God allowed sin to happen. He knew it was there. He had the ability to stop it, and He allowed it to happen. Why did he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden in the first place? Some of you guys that come on Wednesday nights and we do Bible study, you may know the answer where I'm going with this already because I've talked about this before in passing. The answer is love. See, I'm a Valentine's Day preacher. The answer is, <laughs> the answer is love. Love cannot exist where there is not a free will. It cannot. Love is sacrifice sacrifice. Love is submission and surrender. Love is service. If there is no free will, then there cannot be sacrifice because then you are just an automated, you just have an automated response to a prior programming. Computers don't make sacrifices because they just do what they're programmed to do. Computers don't do acts of service and goodwill. They just do what they're programmed to do. They don't have the choice to stop it. They just do the things that they're programmed to do. So God could have created the garden of Eden. He could have never put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in that garden. And he could have had people, robots, that worshipped him and loved, quote unquote, him because that's what they were designed to do. But God doesn't operate that way. God wants love. That's why there was the tree of life. And that's why there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why there was both. Not one or the other. There was both. Mankind had a choice. Even when the Satan tempted Eve, she had a choice to say no. She could have stayed and she could have continually ate the fruit of the tree of life. And she could have lived an eternity in Eden with God and never sinned. But the choice was always there so that she, in her free will, was making a choice to love and to serve and to submit to God. Instead, she violated that and we know what happens because of that. So the reason that there's evil in the world is because of love. Because there cannot be love without free will. And unfortunately, because we have free will, we always, always run to evil. As fast as we can run, we always run to sin. I and mean, you can lie to yourself and say that you don't but you do, we all do mm-hmm. we all be walking past our nightstand and we see our Bible there and we ain't read in three days and we feel this would be a great time to read our Bible and then it pops in our head you know, I'm kind of hungry I'm just going to leave that alone I'll go make me some ramen or some cake or something ramen or cake Ramen or cake. that's right, ramen or cake Amen. <laughs> <laughs> ramen and cake <laughs> not mixed together, obviously, one and the other. No, I mean you wake up, say you've gotta get be at work at seven, you get up at six every morning. You wake up wide awake for no reason at five thirty, and you're like, I could pray before I get up and get ready. And what do you do? Like I could also get thirty minutes more sleep. You roll back over. I'm not talking about big sins. Although they're there too. I'm talking about the little sins that we commit every single day. Not just the things that we do that we know that we shouldn't, but the things that we know that we should do that we don't do. We run to sin. Why? Because we have a free will. But the beauty of that free will is those times when we say, God, there's everything else in the world that should be pulling my attention, but I'm going to devote this time to you because I love you. And because I've been called by you. And because you chose me and because we have relationship together. So now it's not about I'm not doing the things that I know that I should be doing. Now it's the I'm going to choose God above everything else. And that's the reason that there's evil in the world. is so that there's a choice and you have the choice to choose God. And through Christ Jesus, now not only do you have the choice, now you have the ability to overcome that sinful nature and choose God. So that's why there's evil in the world. So back to the original question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because now we know why there are bad things. We got to the root of it. But why do those bad things happen to good people? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So, verse 13 establishes we're talking about good people. We're talking about people that are zealous for good works, for good deeds. Verse 14, But even if you should suffer, and suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So there's one reason. If you're righteous and you're good and you're doing what's good, and then you suffer because of that good, you're blessed by God. (laughs) That kind of sounds like an oxymoron. Maybe you never see that blessing until you cross over into glory. But you are blessed. If the Word says it, then we hold fast to it and say this is the truth. If you're suffering for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. You are blessed because you're building up treasure in heaven. You're blessed because you're pleasing the Heavenly Father. You're blessed because you're suffering for righteousness' sake and you doing it with a smile on your face is also a witness and a testimony to those who see that suffering and see how you handle that suffering. Have no fear of them, Those that persecute you, those that cause you suffering, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Holy just means separate, other than. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Christ is the hope within us. Colossians says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. What he's saying here is that in that suffering, you can look to Christ and you can have that hope knowing that if Christ suffered the things that he suffered, then you are capable of suffering because trust me, you ain't suffered like Christ has suffered. Faith and I, and her even more so than I, we've had some experience in churches. We've been church hurt. We've joked about writing a book about church hurt. Because we've experienced crazy, outlandish types of church hurt. I always make this joke, but I've actually seen it happen. I've seen churches divided over carpet color and curtain color. We've seen people stand up and interrupt preaching to insult pastors, we've seen people form a coup against a pastor. We've seen a district superintendent stand up in front of a church and say, hey guys, your pastor quit. Do you want this guy or do you want this guy? Let's take a vote right in front of him. Raise your hands for this one. Raise your hands for this one. And the church was split in half, Never, still hasn't recovered. We've seen people hurt people for money. We've seen people go back on their word because a family threatened to leave the church that was the financial supporter backbone of that church. We've seen church hurt. But we was talking about this last night about our church hurt. And the conversation wasn't bad. It was just simply, it is extremely difficult to open your heart up to people when all you've ever received is bad. It's hard. Some of you ladies, because, this, because it gets a little bit more personal. You don't even have to go to in your older years. When you were younger... And you, say you were dating your first boyfriend. And say they dump you out of the blue. The pain that that causes. And it's almost like I'll never trust anyone ever again. I know, some, I know some stories about people experiencing pain like that. And you don't ever want to trust anyone again. Faith and I, we lost our first baby. Miscarriage. Then they sent us an envelope and it said medical abortion. Do you know how hard it was to want to try again after that? Because the fear that you're going to lose another baby, like I'm going to get pregnant again, but I'm going to lose that baby also. It makes, you, it, makes it hard to want to open yourself up again for the potential of being hurt in a new way. It's not just relationships. It's not just family. Ministry is the same way. You want to open yourself up to people who are trying to bless you and love you. And there's a wall there because you've been hurt so many times. So it's like, how do you get that wall open so that you can let these people in, so that you can have a solid relationship with them? It's tough. Because you're thinking about the suffering, and you're thinking about the pain, and you're thinking about the potential agony, so you don't even want to take the risk because you're like the suffering that comes with it. And it's not a 50-50 shot. Because that would be easy. If it's like, I'm going to open myself up and it's a 50-50 chance that this person's going to hurt me or not. No, it's more like a 90% chance that they're going to hurt you and a 10% chance that they're not. Because people are people. And for the most part, people are selfish. Even the best people still have a tendency to pull for themselves. That's why love is sacrifice. That's why love is so much different. That's why Jesus says there is no greater love than this, than a man can lay down his life for a friend or for someone else. And that's why Jesus's love was so spectacular, because he didn't just lay his life down for a friend, he laid his life down for his enemies. Because at that time, we were the enemies of God. There was division and we were against God. Our actions cursed God and slandered God, but Jesus laid down His life for us. And that's what commends the love of God and says that it's so much different. I mean, think about this. Some of you guys, you have close relatives, brothers, sisters. Someone's pointing a gun at your sister or your child. You may not think twice to jump in front of a bullet for your child. You may not think twice to jump in front of a bullet for your spouse. You may not think twice to jump in front of a bullet for somebody that's a really good friend. But what if it was someone like Hitler? Just pulling that one out because everybody thinks Hitler's a bad guy. Unless you're a wacky conspiracy theorist, and we can talk about that later. But for the most part, we look at Hitler, we look at Pharaoh, we look at uh, Saddam Hussein, and we say these are bad guys. So you can say, I could jump in front of a bullet for my son or my daughter or my friend or my spouse, but what about jumping in front of a bullet for somebody like that? That's what Jesus did. That's what the love of Jesus is that he was willing to die, not just for you, because you know, we've got the halos, not just for me, but even though it was for me, that's a, that's a pretty big leap because y'all don't know who I was. Not just for you. Not just for you. But did, did you know Jesus died for Hitler? Jesus died for Saddam Hussein? Jesus died for Pharaoh? Because he died for everybody. And that's what makes the love of God so spectacular. That it's not a singular thing like... And this is why I get so passionate in some of these debates with other theologians who say that God picks and chooses who can be saved and who can't. And why I get so adamant about that. Because to me, that violates and that transgresses the very character of God. To say that God allowed evil in the world simply because He wanted people to have the choice to choose Him or choose not. And then He's going to go against that by taking that choice away from them, if that's the case, then God had no need to put a tree and the potential for evil in the world at all. If there was never any choice, that's why I get so passionate about that because I'm like, you're violating the very loving nature of God. You're taking the mercy and the justice and the grace of my God away and you're turning him into a overlord and a dictator, which he is not. He is a good God. And his love is for God every single one of you just like it's for me and just like it's for every single person out there because he loves us and that's the thing that we've got to look at when we look and we say I don't want to open myself up anymore because I know the potential suffering Jesus did it Jesus knew every single thing he was about to face he didn't know just how he was gonna die or that he was gonna die He knew how many times they were going to hit him with that cat of nine tails. He knew how much blood he was going to shed. He knew how many steps he was going to have to take. He knew how that cross was going to dig into his back. He knew the people were going to spit on him and slander him and smack him in the face and pull chunks of his beard out and push a crown of thorns on his head and beat the tar out of him. He knew everything he was about to suffer. But the Bible says, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. You know what the joy was? You. That's the love of God. You were the joy Jesus had in mind. You were the reason that he endured the cross and despised the shame. You were the reason that he went through with it all. That's why he opened himself up. That's why he endured the suffering. Because he was looking at the joy of a relationship with you restored. And we, on the receiving end of that, have to look at other people and say, Yeah, they may hurt me. They may stab me in the back. They may leave me. They may walk away when it hurts me the most. They may not ever think about me again when I lie in bed and cry because of how that relationship was tarnished. There's people out there, I guarantee you right now, that haven't thought about me in months that I've recently laid in bed praying for them for an extended period of time like, God, please help them. I don't care if they come back and they reconcile that relationship with me. Just help them. Don't let them suffer. Bless them. There's multiple families out there that I do that for. Because God's love is like that. So our love has to be like that. And we can't let the risk of suffering and the potential shame prevent us from opening ourselves up and allowing people in, even if they're going to hurt us. Because at the end of the day, who cares? It wasn't about us in the first place. It was about them. It was about the people that we're trying to love. (coughs) Verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What that does, opening yourself up and enduring that suffering, it's a constant witness. You may never know. They may never accept the gospel. But it's going to be a testimony against them when they don't. Because it's not about... Your responsibility is not to convert every single person you come into contact with. Your responsibility is to share the gospel with every single person you come into contact with. And that doesn't mean that you open your Bible and you go point by theological point or doctrine by doctrine or line by line. That means that you live your life in such a way that they wonder about the hope that's inside you. That means that when you have the opportunity, you use words. That means that you show them the love of Jesus regardless of how they treat you. That means that you forgive them even when they don't forgive you. That means that you love them when they curse you. That means that you pray for them when they despitefully use you and beat you and slander you and tear your name across town, making you the laughingstock of the community. You still love them. You still speak good of them. And it's not through gritted teeth lying to yourself. They're a child of God. Find something good about them and pray for them because I promise you that it is impossible to hate somebody and pray for them at the same time. One, you'll stop praying or two, you'll stop hating. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. It is better to suffer for doing good. So see, good people are going to suffer. Bible doesn't lie. Good people are going to suffer. But it says it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then it says, this, it says, if that be God's will. So there's two possibilities right here. If it says a statement like, if that be God's will, there's two possibilities. Number one, that it's God's will. Number two, that it's not. Pretty simple, right? Let's look at the if it's not God's will for you to suffer. Because yeah, things do happen that are not God's will. Mind blown. Every bad thing that happens in your life, God did not construct and design that to affect you. Did he allow it? Sure, just like he allowed Satan to deceive Eve. But he did not manufacture and design that weapon to come against you. He did not speak those words into their ears so that they could speak that into your life. He did not talk trash about you behind your back so that they'd have ammunition to use against you. God didn't do that people have free will you have a free will meaning that sometimes the suffering in your life is because of your own stupid choices I want a new car so I take my salary check and I go and buy me a new car and I don't have any money to pay my house payment I don't have any money for groceries and I suffer a little bit because I'm homeless I got a car but I'm homeless and I ain't got nothing to eat I'm suffering is that God's will? no that's my stupidity Because I I wasn't rational, I wasn't logical, and I was stupid in my decision making. So I suffered because of my own free will to make a stupid choice. Other people got free will. So they have free will to hate you. They have free will to talk trash about you. They have free will to hit you if they want to. They have free will to run and smear your name all across town. So some of your suffering is because other people have free will. And people abuse their free will. That goes back to all the hurts that we've seen, all the things that we've experienced. People suck sometimes. They really do. And it's sad. But it's true. Sometimes people just suck. And sometimes you just want to curl up in bed and say, I'm never getting out because I'm sick and tired of people. I'm going to be a hermit the rest of my life. How many of y'all said that before? Never. Never, yeah. A lot of people said that. Even if you're not curled up in bed, maybe you're sitting on your couch with a TV remote and you're, you turn on the football game and you're like, I ain't ever leaving this spot because I hate people. I mean, the curled up in bed may be a female thing, but sitting on the couch with a TV remote in your hand turning on a football game saying, I ain't ever leaving this spot because people suck. I've done that. But you got to get up and you got to open yourself back up again to be heard again. The other part of if it's not God's will... Because the devil has a will of his own. He operates. You have an advocate. I mean, you have an adversary. You have an advocate, that's Jesus. You have an adversary, that's Satan. That's the devil. The Bible says that you have to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil and the devil's minions and the kingdom of hell and the Satan and all of that, they are looking for every single opportunity to destroy you. Every opportunity you give them, they're they're ready and willing to destroy you. Every slip-up, Every word that was said incorrectly, they're waiting to destroy you. The only reason that they can't is by the restraining grace of God. So don't give them any reason. And know this, the Bible says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It never says that no weapon won't be formed. Weapons will be formed and they will come against you. But they cannot prosper if you can hold fast to the confession of your faith. If you can hold fast to Jesus, those weapons will come and they'll fall away. But they will not prosper. They will not destroy you. Even if they take everything you've got, they cannot destroy you. And you will have a reward in heaven for just holding on. Now let's look at the other one. If it's God's will. So it means that it might be God's will. How can a good God will for me to suffer? important question. If God wills for me to suffer, how can a good God will for me to suffer? Because it is there. He willed for Christ to suffer. The answer is in the next verse, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Christ suffered once for sins. He suffered. He was righteous. We were unrighteous that He might bring us to God. Christ suffered to bring us to God. If God wills for suffering in your life, it's for one reason, to bring you to God. Because God loves you so much that He is more concerned about your eternal being than He is about your temporary happiness. God is more concerned about who you are from here till eternity and onward than He is about whether or not you're going to cry today. He is more concerned about your relationship with Him than He is about how much money you got in the bank. He is more concerned about your relationship with Him than He is about how many friends you've got. He is more concerned about your relationship with Him and your purity and your holiness and your pursuit of the gospel of Jesus Christ than He is about anything else in your life. God's concerned about your eternity, not just your now. God's got the long game in mind. Sometimes we've got the short game in mind. Sometimes we want something so we go take a credit card out and we buy it with a credit card and then we don't realize that that interest, that 50% interest is going to kill us in the long road and we're not going to be able to get a house, we're not going to be able to get a car, we're not going to be able to do anything because that credit card is eating us alive because we were concerned about the short term answer not the long term answer. God's always concerned about the long term. Yeah, He will bless you and He will make you joyful and you can sing in the Lord but He is not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your joy. See, happiness is contingent upon a circumstance. It goes up and down. Somebody gives you $5, you're happy. You find out you owe somebody $10, you're unhappy. God's concerned about you having consistent provision all the way throughout. Joy is dependent upon God. Happiness is dependent upon everything else. So yeah, there's suffering. And sometimes God's wills... us to suffer, because He wants us to be a reflection of the image of His Son. He wants us to look more and more and more like Jesus than we do right now. He wants us to be His witnesses in this world. He wants us to be prepared so that we enter into eternity. We can worship Him and we won't feel like scum when we get there. He wants us to stand in front of the judgment seat and have something of a reward waiting for us. God's concerned about then. God's concerned about the long game, not just the short game, not just about whether or not you have to get store brand or name brand. God's concerned not just about whether or not you have to get a Kia versus a Lexus, a two-bedroom versus a five-bedroom. I'm just talking finances right now. But there's other things too. About whether or not that person who was going to lead you into paganism and lead you off track and lead you into sin, they walk away from your life right now and you're broken about it. But then you find out later that they ain't even with God no more and they're out partying and doing their own thing and you're like, man, they could have taken me right with them. But I had to endure a little bit of pain so that they wouldn't. See what I'm saying? You know, sometimes... I think about Eliana. That's the name of our daughter that we lost. I think about her. And it makes me pray a prayer over my kids. And I've told Faith about it before, and she don't necessarily like it, but she don't hate it either. I've prayed over my kids before, and I've prayed this. I pray, God, if they don't grow up to serve you and to live for you, then kill them now. And everybody's like. I'm serious. Because I'd rather lose my kid and endure the pain of losing my kid knowing that they made it to heaven because they are still too young to be accountable for their actions. I would rather lose them now and see them for all of eternity than to watch them grow up and live in sin and go to hell. Because I don't want that kind of pain. Because you think that there's pain... I can't imagine some of these people that grow up and their grandparents and their great-grandparents and then they are on their deathbed and they know that some of their sons and their daughters and some of their grandkids are out there living in the world all straight on their way to hell or people that die. My favorite basketball player, Kobe Bryant, I have no idea about his spiritual stance. I don't know if the man was saved or if he wasn't saved. I know that he went to a Catholic mass right before. I don't know the man's spiritual stance at all. What I do know is is I know that he had no idea when he woke up that that morning and got on that helicopter that that was going to be the last day of his life. Neither did his daughter or the other eight people that were on that helicopter. And their life was ended immediately. I can't imagine having somebody, my kid, or somebody else living in sin and just having their life cut off immediately. Knowing they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Knowing that there's no more mercy for him. It's done. See, that's suffering that has no reward. In this life, we endure and we have suffering. There's a reward for the suffering. There's a blessing in the suffering. There's a suffering that produces a work in us. But once this life is over and we're in eternity, there's a suffering that has no reward. I'll take my suffering now. Thank you. I got you guys to turn over to Romans 828. I don't want to leave you guys on such a sour note. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I told you this whole thing was about love, right? This was a good Valentine's Day sermon. <laughs> this just makes you want to go panned out Valentine's Day cards, don't it? I know. I know. You thinking roses and candlelit dinners because of this message. Romans 8 28 and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose come on if there's anything that you can get excited about if there's anything that you can shout about if there's anything that you can stand up and wave your hands about and say thank you Jesus it's that right there mm-hmm. that right there Because it doesn't just say when God wills you to suffer, those things are going to work out for your good. No, it says anything, everything, God works it out for your good. If you love God and are called according to your purpose. That means if you're saved, if you're converted, if you're a Christian and you love God and you've been called according to his purpose, then everything that happens to you, he's going to work out for your good one way or another. So that means even when it's your free will that gets you in a stupid situation, he's going to work that out for your good. When someone else's free will gets you in a stupid situation, he's going to work that out for your good. When Satan comes against you with his teeth bared and roaring like a lion and has you pinned down and about to kill you, he's going to work that out for your good. When he wills for you to suffer, he's going to work that out for your good. Why? Because he's a loving God, and he loves you with everything he has. And his love ain't a conditional love. His love ain't... (laughs) I mess up, so now God don't love me. No, His love is unconditional. I think about that a lot with marriage. See, a lot of us have this mindset of, if my wife or if my husband would only do this, man, that would be be perfect. That's conditional love. That's putting a condition on your love. Saying, man, if they would do this, I'd love them more. If my son would just act a certain way, I'd love him a little bit more. That's putting a condition on his love. That's putting a condition on your love. That's not unconditional love. Unconditional love means that whatever happens, whoever they are, I love them and there ain't nothing that can take that. There ain't nothing that can change that. There ain't nothing that can steal that. There ain't nothing that can remove that. They can't lose it. See, we have all this argument about whether or not you can lose your salvation. That's a garbage argument. You can't lose it. It ain't your car keys. You can't throw your salvation under the chair and have to go find it and spend three months searching for it. You can't lose it. You can leave it, but you can't lose it. God ain't putting you on a merits base. Did He save you because you were so good? Is that why God saved you? Because you just were the epitome of success? No? then why is He suddenly going to put you on a merits base and say this is what you got to do to keep it? No, He saved you knowing that you were a miserable wretch and a sinner. That's right. He saved you knowing you sucked. And He loved you anyway. And so after you get saved, if you suck a little bit, He still loves you. If you slip up a little bit, He still loves you. What's so funny? Listen, I suck sometimes too. I'm just. <laughs> I make stupid choices. I sin. I get caught up. Does that mean I lose my salvation? Does that mean that I'm no longer a Christian? That I've got to go repent and do all this jazz to make sure that I'm saved, that I'm going to heaven? No. Because my God is too good for that. He saved me going back to that all knowing thing, knowing every time I'd slip up. He knew every time I'd slip up. Every mistake I'd make. And yet He still saved me. He still called me. He still loved me. God's love ain't conditional. Ours shouldn't be either. God's love ain't scared. Meaning that He didn't stop loving you because He was scared you was going to cause Him some grief. Trust me, you've caused God grief. Therefore, our love shouldn't be conditional and our love shouldn't be scared that we can't love somebody because they're going to cause us grief or suffering. We love them anyway. Expect it. People are going to hurt you. Don't stop loving because they hurt you. God didn't stop loving you because you hurt Him. God didn't stop saving you because you hurt Him. No, God loves you. And this Word says that everything that happens, no matter what it is, no matter what the cause of it, no matter what's going on, everything that happens, God causes it to work for your good. It's okay, we got elephants coming down the stairs. God causes everything to work for your good. It's all right, my son, he's got to go potty. Proud of that baby. Does that make sense? That's unconditional love. Look, this is the worst timing in the world. Faith just walked in there.